Testing Wrestling. A podcast where I try... Well, this used to be a podcast where I try to understand what it is that people love about wrestling and, and why they they spend so much time with it. Honestly, at this point, I've really... I've come to understand why it is. Um, I still just don't care for it. So, that's complicated. And yet... I remain friends with people who enjoy wrestling in what I think is very ins- uh, inspiring. I think I'm a real thought leader in uh, in a divided America where I'm maintaining friendships with people with whom I have arguably intractable differences. It's, a, it's almost a miracle when that kind of thing happens in America today, and uh, I'm not going to get too far into the reasons why. If you live anywhere around here, you've heard about it. So this podcast, really, it's a beacon of peace to everybody all around the world. And I am Dr. Ben Abelson. I'm a professor of philosophy at Mercy College and also a beacon of fighting. So on that note, where we have uh, acknowledged that I'm a real, that I'm the, a thought leader here, unless I already said that we just had some technical issues, but you, the listener, due to the magic of technology, have perceived no passage of time whatsoever. So, Doc, why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, well, my name is Doc Diamondfire. I've been involved in pro wrestling for about 13 years now or so. I've kind of lost track. Anyway, I've done a little bit of everything backstage, a little bit of everything in front of the camera. I'm continuing to do a little bit of everything. I'm teaching history at the the T2T Wrestling Academy in Brooklyn right now, a new school that's coming up. Uh, So I'm happy about that, keeping myself involved. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm doing a bunch of other stuff too, but I'm not going to list all of it because it would take all night. Uh, Professor, who are you? I already said who I am, but most importantly... You did. Um... Uh, I would like to introduce our guest returning to the Contesting Wrestling Podcast, the king of all space, Bobby Fischer. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. I I am so glad to be back here on Contesting Wrestling. It's been a long time coming, Bobby. I'm glad we could get you back. A pleasure to have you. Possibly our first return guest. Ooh, an honor. Possibly. A dual honor. And it, yeah, yeah. The, it couldn't have yeah, come other than people who are just semi regular. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I'm happy to come on. Happy for you to come on. Absolutely. Uh, twice. <laughs> it, twice. It couldn't have come as a better at a better time because we just finished the year of 1995 on the Wrestling Time Machine podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. The Renegade walked away with a surprising number of awards, most of them for the worst in things, but. Uh, that is a sad story. <sighs> Evan, uh, the Renegade was WCW's bootleg Ultimate Warrior that they trotted out uh, in '95. It is yeah. like they wow. th- they literally teased that they had signed the Ultimate Warrior, and then they were like, "and and here's our guy," and it was a guy in like warrior inspired face paint with tassels on his biceps and long hair. Yeah, and uh, that WCW- went about as well as y- as you think it could. WCW seem to have a lot of off-brand characters, right? They seem to traffic in a yes. lot of like, hey, you kids like this, right? Well, yeah. what if we they had, had a... Gatman. They got sued for Arachnaman. Yeah, there's uh, <laughs> WCW's off-brand, similar to but not quite legally distinct enough characters, is A, a saga unto itself, what with like Doc mentioned, Arachnaman, the Juicer. Uh, you also have a, a Beetlejuice style character, yeah. uh, and of course the 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 sad saga of one Rick Wilson, aka the Renegade. Yeah, and and like the the off brand shit went all the way down to the theme music. Yeah. Right, they'd be like, "Oh, DDP needs a theme song. Let's make something as similar as to, to Smells Like Teen Spirit as we possibly can without getting sued." Mm-hmm. And uh, Raven, Raven had uh, an even flow knockoff. It's, it's funny oh, and, both of those and we, themes. And I mean, 
both of those themes were mostly scrubbed from the WWE Network versions because they determined them to be too close to the originals and they had to record more. They had to record new, slightly less inspired versions of those songs <laughs> for their archive footage. I guess the standards have changed in uh, 20 I, years. Yes. 30 years. I was a little bummed out that because, uh, you know, we're covering one, one of the characters recovering today was to me a bit of a possibly uh, a slight reference to another character that was in pop culture at the time Uh, it's very subtle it's hard to pick up on but I was hoping (laughs) that there would be an accompanying theme song because there is a (laughs) there is a song that is associated with this character that actually kind of still rules even in 2021 and we didn't get a bootleg version of that theme song which i was hoping for i don't know what the original song on in in wcw was though maybe they had one i don't really remember no they didn't so um i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna dive right in here go ahead uh, at bobby's request and bobby i will i will ask you uh your thought process in just a second. Mm-hmm. We took a look at uh, we took a look at Glacier and uh, his his written rival Mortis, and I can tell you that there was no special music because I watched this today. Um, I was going to watch it a couple of days ago, thinking the WWE Network would still be working for me until uh, April fourth. It is currently April third, and turns out no. So I had to go yeah. digging. It depends around. on your billing cycle. I had to go digging around through the pit that is Daily Motion to find oh. all the stuff we had to watch. I found it all pretty easily, and some of it is clearly VHS rip with the original music, which is cool. Mm. And no, it's like it's some generic, like fast-paced chug and metal with a little bit of synth in it. It is not. Uh, it is not anything more interesting than that. <laughs> Uh, the match we watched, I, uh, the match we watched was from the German feed, so the commentary I saw was in German. That was interesting. Wow, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully, it was better. Hopefully, it was better than the English commentary over a WXW show I watched. That's on the network. It was German guys who spoke enough English to do the English commentary, and it was god awful, no, really terrible. Really on the the Femme Fatale tournament, great tournament though. Now, before we before we dive full on into the match today, I, Bobby, I wanted to ask you. It's it. I felt it feels like we were. This was a uh, a return to the good match, bad match format we had done in the past. <laughs> would would you say? Would you say that was part of how you were approaching this? Absolutely, this was. So, <laughs> uh, you know, Doc, uh, you, you were asking about my thought process a little earlier. Please, please give us your thought process. So. I thought this would be a very interesting dichotomy because uh, I didn't want uh, Evan to maybe be exposed to Raven Tommy Dreamer just yet if he hasn't uh, seen too much of that yet. And I know he uh, the extre- the more extreme weapons involved, weapons-heavy stuff isn't uh, necessarily up his alley. But I think what's important about this particular period is how much Raven and Tommy Dreamer kind of changed the face of storytelling in professional wrestling. Now, long-term storytelling had been a thing in professional wrestling really since it's, it's, since its inception, but Tommy Dreamer and Raven kind of took that to the next level because what happened within their feud was something that had not only taken place outside of the ring, but it was something that was so deeply personal and rooted to what happened to them in their childhood and adolescence. And the ripples of that can kind of be seen very faintly in something like Glacier versus Mortis, but definitely those ripples are there in something like Undertaker versus Kane. Mm. And and so the the Raven Tommy Dreamer feud was happening in like 94, 95. 95 is when e- it started. ECW. Yeah, it's, it starts okay. at the beginning of 95, and really some of the, the peak moments kind of happened through 95. With Tommy Dreamer and Raven, there was a lot of subtlety about what had happened between the two of them. Uh, throughout 95, a lot of that work was done through promos. Now, unlike, say... 
Undertaker Kane, you didn't have Stevie Richards coming out and calling Tommy Dreamer a murderer or anything. It was a lot of just sort of backstage promos with some subtext and some subtlety about what had happened to them. And it kind of got you. What? What? Just really quick. What was the story again? I believe with Raven and, and Dreamer. So that's where the subtext kind of backfire, backfires because it's not super clear. A lot of it kind of hints at uh, Raven and Tommy Dreamer and Beulah McGillicuddy all being friends in summer camp mm. at some point, being really good friends. Tommy being kind of the pretty boy in their group. And Raven, I think his parents were getting divorced, and he felt that Tommy wasn't there for him, and he felt betrayed okay. by that. And, of course, Beulah was struggling with adolescence like a lot of young girls. Uh, they, they kind of talk about how when she was uh, you know, in summer camp with them, she was uh, a little heavy set, not at all attractive, and then you have, of course, Beulah McGillicuddy, how she looks in ECW. Right? Oh, yes. Pin-up pin up model-esque. Uh, to say the least. Beulah McGillicuddy. <clears throat> yeah. I had a poster of her on my door. There I mean, I had, a, I had a lot of shit on my door, but... This this sounds like a complicated and nuanced story to get across in, in promo. Yeah. Form. There's a reason we're not w- watching all of this for this show. There's too much of it went on for months and months. ECW creatively peaked well before it commercially peaked, like so many things do. And when it creatively peaked, it wasn't just, oh, hey, we're stabbing each other with stuff. It's we're doing like 90s dark nuanced storytelling. And it worked really well. And it brought that kind of storytelling back to wrestling, which it had kind of been missing, which is which is what Bobby's yeah, we're saying We're not just here. stabbing each other. We're stabbing each other because you weren't there for me when my parents <laughs> yeah, yes. got divorced. Exactly. Like, they had... The, I think the closest WWF had before that was, like, Brett and Owen. Yeah. It, right? Yeah. Which, was, which was personal on a level that we, we hadn't seen before. And I guess it also... It kind of, like, if wrestling... If part of the idea with wrestling is that it's about people who... Uh, solve their disputes and their problems with with physical violence and with wrestling, then why not have it be like as simple or like not as simple, but like uh, why not have a reason that's um, that's like, oh, you know, yeah, I felt like somewhat betrayed by you in our friendship in this complex way and not just some over the top like you had sex with my wife you know, kind of story. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah. No, no, it it does. It does. Um, they, they, it's not like it never happens, but you're right. Most of the time it's something very surface. Um, I, the, the thing people will point to as like kind of the dumbest surface story that they based a feud on is once like Edge and Booker T were in a feud over like jealousy over one of them getting like a Japanese shampoo commercial and the other one not. And <laughs> what was like the something one... that nobody could relate to. Yeah, who feuded because they spilled coffee on each other? Uh, Kane and uh, I want to say X-Pac. That sounds like a Kane X-Pac story. Yeah. I I thought RVD maybe, but maybe not. Maybe. One of them Kane feuds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it reminded him of the burning of his parents, right? Of the fire. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Uh, So, so, but I I, I take your point, uh, Bobby, that... uh, Raven and Tommy Dreamer really did introduce this new kind of level of storytelling yeah. uh, that that reaching into the deep recesses of the wrestlers past for the their reasons for for quarreling yeah. and, and fighting. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't just have Raven hitting Tommy Dreamer in the junk with a big toy dinosaur. There has to be a reason behind that. <laughs> I mean, you could, but you're right. There's a reason it's why. It's better if there's a reason why. So um, then you take all of that great stuff and you filter it through the lens of WCW. Yes. So and- as, as as Evan already alluded to, um, and, and as we talked about a bit, WCW was also in the business of taking things that were popular in 
popular culture Boy, were they. and finding <laughs> yeah and, and and creating their version of it um which uh did not involve much cre- creativity at all and so we start and so bobby you had us watch vignettes from the april 29th 1996 nitro mm-hmm. the July 8th, 96 Nitro, and then the July 22nd, 96 Nitro. And these were all vignettes uh, claiming that either that Glacier was coming (laughs) to WCW or before that, just the phrase blood runs cold. Right. And so it runs cold. <laughs> so, so I'm guessing that the the reason why you had us watch all three of these is just to point out how fucking long they were advertising oh that Glacier was going to come before he actually showed up. The debut ended up being in September. Yeah. The <laughs> Glacier had such like the Undertaker didn't have this long of a buildup before he debuted. It was it was a glacial pace. Right? You it, may it's, say. It, and it's yes. so it it devolves from like, OK, somebody obviously, I think, came up with the phrase blood runs cold. And we're like, this is it. We're going to build the entire thing around this. And. and I, 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 I do just need to point out that um oh no actually no sorry Bob, bobby you okay. finish then i'll make like and, and one of i think my favorite things is like the graphic how the how the sort of like c in whatever kind of logo ancient sort of kana engraved thing that they made out of cgi how it just kind of flips and falls over into i guess what's supposed to be a g and then like it's it's all kind yeah. of looking like if you didn't know any better you'd think it was just a video game or something. And then well, it's just that what they kind of were right, going for. Exactly. And then the very last sort of like uh vignette that uh, I had you guys watch is just him doing like katas in front of like a cheesecake factory. <laughs> well, there is, <laughs> there, there is what I found most baffling about the imagery presented in these is like, you know, it starts off, and like very quickly, um, you know, you realize like, oh, okay, it's it's if we haven't said it yet, it's Sub Zero for Mortal yeah. Kombat, right, right, right. Yeah. Like it's like this was what? the height of Mortal Kombat mania. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it, it yes. was a huge thing. It's it's very clearly. However, in addition to it being very clearly Sub Zero, there is at least one shot in one of these promos of something that looks astonishingly like a Stargate. Yeah. Which also yeah. was a very popular movie <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and nope. it, so it really, it felt like they were like, they were like, oh, really focused on the Sub-Zero thing. And then we're like, oh, uh, let's, let's just, let's throw the Stargate in there. Let's throw something else in there that'll maybe appeal to the And kids. imagine mashing up two properties like Mortal Kombat and Stargate and still coming <laughs> away with something awful. Well, <laughs> what I was, what I was excited about going into this right because like i mean first off i was upset because it bothers me when a pg production calls itself uncensored <laughs> i just yes, think yes. that's we already watched oh, some yeah, matches boy. from uncensored yeah. uh the, the last episode with bobby but i i appreciated that you know so it starts off and then he's fighting a guy who i guess who's like i guess a little less like scorpion than this guy is like sub-zero but that's still sort of the but before we get before we get right to a mortis and and this match because uh, morris this is kind of the point of this mortis was was made specifically for glacier this whole blood runs cold thing was kind of a victim of its own ambition. Like, they, it started getting... I know a little bit about this. You know, they, they, they started developing it at the end of the previous year behind the scenes in WCW. Uh, you know, Bischoff was trying to, you know, capitalize on Mortal Kombat, which was big. And, like, DDP was one of the creative guys behind it, according to an interview I saw with uh, James Vandenberg, the guy who was the manager of Mortis. Uh, the problem was, just as they started putting together this thing that would not be out of place in 1995 WCW, the entire wrestling business changed. The hottest thing became the NWO. All of a sudden, everybody was using their real names, and everything was like a shoot. And then out comes Sub-Zero for Mortal Kombat <laughs> after six months of vignettes. And you know what he was doing the whole time? was He's a martial artist, and he was training on how to do that and not 
like hurt people. Um, so which uh, he was a martial artist. Yes. Yes. Okay. Because I mean. This is getting maybe getting a little bit ahead, but the wrestling to me comes off as two very well trained wrestlers trying to make it look like they're doing martial arts. They rehearsed stuff like that. There was going to this was supposed to be a much bigger angle. But by the time it started, it had already started and stopped so many times that it was as ridiculous as well. You saw it. Uh, But yeah, okay. It's right. His his foil, his foil here, the skull bedecked Mortis um, was, you know, he was pretty evil. Looking. He's got the staff with the skull with a jester hat on. Yeah. Like, yeah. That was kind of the, cool. the whole thing with that, that I find really interesting about this sort of dichotomy. And I think this one note I took in the middle of the Undertaker Kane match we watched really kind of sums it up. Watching and comparing Glacier versus Mortis to Undertaker versus Kane is like comparing an elementary school play to an actual cinematic production. Like the the wrestling and even just the storytelling, like Mortis is supposed to be Glacier's built-in rival. And I can tell you as somebody who has watched all the Nitro from 96 and even some of uh, 97... Uh, you know, before we started like the wrestling time machine podcast, there is no buildup for Mortis on Nitro at all. That basically wow. the first you ever hear of James Vandenberg and uh, Mortis at all is uncensored. There's, wow. They give you, yeah, th- they, they give the audience no reason to care about them. As opposed to Undertaker and Kane, where they built like six months pretty yeah. much. From Kane's first appearance to the WrestleMania match. Mm-hmm. Not not just six months of ads saying, coming soon, Kane. Right. right. And one of the most anticlimactic things that happens just watching this, like, I can't imagine what it must have been like watching it live, but um, when he takes off his mask early Glacier. in the match... That's a terrible fucking move because he just he has like this like fairly like fun looking like Sub Zero mask on and he takes it off and he's really just a guy like he is <laughs> he is the most generic like it's such a step down in intensity uh, speak, when he takes the mask. So I've, off. I've met Glacier, you know, uh, in my travels, and I'll say the same thing about him that everybody says about him is he's one of the friendliest guys you'll ever meet, and it just comes out of his face. He has a he has the kind of personality where you feel like you can just go over and say hello, and he'll be like, "Hello, it's good to see you. I'm happy to be here," you know. And it's like, oh yeah, and, and that doesn't do well for like badass icicle killer yeah i can i can second that by the way doc uh when i did when i was the the minister for uh, my dear friend sean and oh, yeah. uh, jen's wedding um uh glacier was on the card for that wrestling oh, show yeah cool and i met him backstage super fucking nice uh was very um uh laudatory of my performance he told me he's like hey if i ever get married again i want you to officiate it <laughs> his, um, his, his name's wow, ray you know yeah, yeah. like it's super cool guy super like cool. to kind of build off what evan was saying about this whole like he's just a guy thing you know and i'm i'm sure uh ray's a, a very nice guy you know <laughs> yeah. in real life and everything but like the Right at the beginning of the match, like Mortis comes out, there's that cheap kind of knockoff mortuary dark organ music for him, right? Comes out, gets all his stuff taken off. You know, we don't know who this Mortis character is, but he looks dark and menacing. They ring the bell. He gets right up in Glacier's face. And because it's Canyon in the most New Jersey accent he can Queens. Yeah, like he, Queens. Canyon is from he's Queens. He's just like, what the hell was that? You suck. And he just like spits <laughs> on him. And it's just like, this uh, is, it, it's so far removed from the character he's trying to play. It completely takes you out of it. And, and then but, they start doing the staged martial arts. Yeah. Which, but, but yeah. So, uh, by the way, Canyon also, we have some personal connection to, uh, Evan, our friend Aaron from high school, her dad knew Canyon. He was like friends with someone he worked with. And he used to watch the pay-per-views at this pool hall in Queens that we would sometimes go to to watch pay-per-views or Raws or whatever. 
Um, and then un- unfortunately, Kenyon uh, passed away uh, shortly after the last time uh, we saw him there. Um, but I want to say also on the mask thing, Evan, they, and, and this, this speaks to something that Doc was saying earlier about how you know, this was this transitional time in wrestling where they were going to more of a shoot style of, of storytelling. And here was this goofy cartoon thing in the middle of it. The way they talk about Mortis's mask, like they try to pretend it's actually his face for a little bit, mm. the announcers, but they're like kind of noncommittal about it. So yeah. d- does maybe this is something we should get into later, but does Mortis also have power? Are they supposed to have powers? Not. Because it's announced that, it, that it's a martial arts match, yeah, which I'm no, excited about. But does was Glacier's unclear... thousand-year-old helmet have powers, or why does he have a thousand-year-old helmet? Yeah, I've as far as what I've seen from Glacier and Mortis, no, they don't have any powers. And uh, to kind of get back to something uh, Doc was talking a little bit about about the ambition behind this. The budget for Glacier's entrance was in the hundred thousand dollar range for all the fake snow. This was supposed wow. to be for a the much snow, deal. yeah, for the fake snow, the lasers, all of it. Like it cost them several hundred thousand dollars every time they did the full entrance. So, so keep in mind, this is not the debut of Glacier. He had been doing matches against mostly enhancement talent on the various WCW properties, and he would come out with the full entrance with the blue and the snow mm-hmm. and everything, every time, as though this was still a big deal. Yeah. Except it absolutely wasn't. Like, it was it was cool enough, I guess, but it's not... Hey, yeah. hey he trained in the blood sports in the pits of Malaysia <laughs> for this. Right. That's uh, something that James Vandenberg pulled directly <laughs> out of his ass. Um, he's actually a very good manager yeah. and talker. Oh, absolutely. He's criminally underutilized in the wrestling business. What else did he do? He was, he was the sinister minister yep. in ECW. Then uh, he's Father James Mitchell. He managed a That's James that Mitchell? That yeah. is James Mitchell managing Mortis Oh, there. shit. This was his break. He was mm-hmm. in Smoky Mountain for a little while before that. And, Damn, uh, yeah. I did not recognize him at all. No. Fuck. He was very good. So one of my favorite things about this match is the commentary because there's a very funny, kind of unintentionally funny or ironic line that I think uh, uh, Tony Schiavone says. And that's that Glacier, one of his attributes has always been the quickness. (laughs) And it's just Uh. like, I want you to think about that, Tony. Yeah. I, I was, I, you know, I had high hopes for this match, not in the sense that I thought it was going to be good, but I was like, this will be fun, right? This will be funny. It'll be bad. This match was like, was like an unknowable or unobservable object where every time I tried, I I would like snap back to attention. Like, no, I'm going to pay attention to this match. And I just five seconds later, I would be on my phone or I was like cleaning something or like doing something in my house. Like I could not focus and on this. It's sad because both guys were working hard. Yeah, it's um, they're both competent wrestlers. It's just everything about the production took you. Yeah, out of it's it. well, they, they did. They they started with the fake martial arts and that went on for about a minute and then they just had a wrestling match. With with innovative moves like the rocker dropper, which Bobby Heenan acts like he's never seen yeah. before. Yeah. And, and like every kind of spot that they have in the match to sort of build tension and drama comes across as more just like stilted and, and hesitant. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I know Canyon had been working as an enhancement talent for WCW up until this time, more or less. But like there were there were moments where it's just like you can tell that these guys are are green right like the attempted ref bump where glacier like stops and doesn't kick the ref uh right and it's like you can tell what they're trying to do but it's just it comes off so like there's a hesitation in their movements almost and then in the end, the big finish is a fucking the cryonic kick, which is just a shitty super kick. Yep. <laughs> right. Both of their finishes are like a kick that they try for. 
Because martial arts, because Eric Bischoff was really into uh, into martial arts because he was a black belt in karate, I believe. Um, but that here's the problem: yeah. martial arts at, for entertainment only. Like, like it's one thing if you go watch like a martial arts competition or something, and you're into that, and then it's yeah, entertaining yeah. for you. But like martial arts as entertainment. Only works in the only really works in like movie form, right? Because it needs to be heavily choreographed, and then it they do fucking hundreds of takes mm-hmm. sometimes to like yeah. make it all work properly. Like it's not something that you can really execute in in a live context. The the only guys who were really able to do it in wrestling were Loki and the Amazing Red, but they would do like fifteen seconds of fast paced like kicks and evasions in a match. And it's really cool, but you can't keep that up for an entire match. Yeah. No. Um whereas <laughs> the idea with Mortis and Glacier was just I guess to like take that fifteen seconds of cool shit, but do it really slow <laughs> and stretched out. Well, I mean well, even did you guys I, I did watched... you guys watch WMAC Masters, which was on Oh yeah. I, I was oh, I yeah. was very no. young when that was on, but I, I do know what that is, yes. There's a YouTube video that's just one video that's the entire series that's like seven hours long. Um, and they did like worked martial arts matches mm-hmm. for a worked title. And it was it was great. It was a fun, you know, Saturday morning show. But it's it's television production is the thing. Like Ben yeah. was saying, like uh, they did, you know, multiple takes and heavily choreographed the whole thing beginning to end. That's not how wrestling matches generally go. Yeah, you can. I even eat. Sorry, Evan, you go ahead. Oh, no, no, I was just going to say very quickly, even um, even in something like, I guess, MMA, which is like probably the most, you know, the most popular form of entertainment oriented martial arts kind of that's out there. You know, it's like you have people doing strike exchange. I haven't watched a ton of it, so I don't really know what I'm talking about here, but I'm going to pull this out of my ass. You have people doing a lot of strike exchanges, but I'm under the impression that the excitement comes from the grappling. Or, like, the the real tension comes from the grappling. Yeah, you don't get a a ton of striking because if someone really has an opening where they're able to strike the other person cleanly, like, they're going to knock them out. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, you're, you're right though. The tension specifically is when there's grappling because like big fans of the sport will see the incremental movement of yeah. of the guy's bodies and like, Oh, he's, they're both on the ground and to the uneducated eye. It's like, they're just hugging on the ground <laughs> to the educated eye. It's like, Oh, the, the, the guy on top is slowly moving down. He doesn't want to be moving down. He's getting into the guy in the bottom's guard, and then oh, another inch there. Oh, the guy in the bottom moved his leg a little bit. So to the educated eye, they're hugging around tactically. The, yeah, exactly. The ref has to... The, the, the ref standard is somebody has to be defending themselves... Um, oh, what's the word used? Not logically. Uh, defending themselves like visibly or else the match has to like be stopped. consciously. Yeah. Intentionally. Yeah, yeah. Like intentionally that, yeah. That's it. Intentionally defending themselves or either the match has to be stopped or they have to be separated because they've reached a stalemate. You do get more exciting strike exchanges in something like K one in kickboxing or mm-hmm. yeah. Muay Thai. Sure. Yeah. But even then I'm get like, I haven't watched a ton of that. But, you know, it's probably mostly blocking. Yeah. It's it's all about how little grappling you allow. Mm-hmm. The big shocker in the first couple of UFC events that were really no holds barred, there were exceedingly few rules, was that the winner was Hoist Gracie, the, the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy. And he took on all these martial artists and he clinched them all. And choked them out with their own geese or got his shoulder into their necks while he was on his own back. And sometimes it would take 20 minutes and then eventually the other guy would have to tap out or pass out or something and he'd win. It wasn't the most exciting thing, but once people realized that worked and that that actually could beat just about all these other martial arts, it was a very interesting uh, change in the perception of what a fight looked like in America. Mm. Because people always pictured heavyweight boxers, but boxing is a very limited game. You can only punch, and you can only punch from the forehead to the waist and at no other part of the body. And even with wrestling, because I I watched a YouTube documentary on Minoru Suzuki. Oh, yeah. And uh, in the early days of... of, um, Pancrase of like shoot shoot wrestling in Japan, he dominated 
until the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys showed up and started doing guard position where they're on their back. And once they introduced that, a lot of people, including Suzuki, just couldn't adapt to that style and just got tapped out every time. And so it stopped being about getting your weight on top of the other guy, which is what wrestling always was. Yeah, and like it's usually frowned upon in most sports to have actual fatalities. (laughs) <laughs> usually you are correct bobby with that. <laughs> yeah it's not like synchronized swimming where it's accepted that like a few people are going to die every Olympics. the true blood yeah. sport synchronized swimming uh <laughs> look i'm just saying if one of those if one of those swimmers accidentally kicks you i mean their their legs are incredibly strong oh, absolutely so, no. Really puts oh, a yeah. lot of people Yo, down. figure skating. Have you ever seen oh how God. they fucking flip in the air oh, and shit? Yeah. If the dude doesn't catch her, freaking gonna be there's gonna be some cold ass blood splattered <laughs> on that ice. And like this whole match, you know, kind of kind of getting back to to the actual match itself. Like everything that they do, you know, even apart from like the the mixed martial arts, lacks a, a level of impact. Like there's uh, there's. A yeah. point in the match where Glacier gets up on the on the top rope, I believe, and Mortis stumbles back into the ropes. And it's supposed to be a, a spot where, well, him stumbling back into the ropes causes Glacier to kind of fall on the turnbuckle, lose his footing and everything. And even that, like, it, you watch it and you're just like, he didn't back into those ropes hard enough for Glacier to have felt it. Yeah. The power plant was a bad wrestling school. <laughs> <laughs> it really was. It turned out a Not lot of that guys it was were... bad at teaching you how to wrestle in that they taught you how to do bad wrestling. Yeah. Yes. And that's why Goldberg. <laughs> right. Oh, there you go. That yes. explains it. Oh, a lot um, of the guys that came out of the power plant just weren't very good. Speaking I, of not making an impact or being very good, we should mention that at the end of this match, Wrath, <laughs> the former Adam Bomb, comes out. And so to the excitement of no one. They introduce the main villain for Glacier, and then immediately they introduce the secondary villain for Glacier. Would have been so much more effective if they really built up Mortis first, and then Mortis has a friend. But eh. This is where I thought that they displayed Mortis having powers, because there's a moment where it looks like Mortis is mind-controlling the other guy <laughs> into... Yeah. Possibly. slamming glacier yeah maybe am i not right like am i i wish i had i wish i uh had the clip lined up but i, I don't ever want to see or think about it again for the rest of my I, life i didn't so. i didn't pick up on that my whole note during wrath coming out was like boy adam bomb sure looks cool as Ra- oh he took the helmet off well he's just Red. a guy <laughs> and there you go yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a recurring problem yeah. here yeah. um I, I will say if uh if, that, if we're about ready for a segue, sure. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of of being just a guy and underwhelming stuff, uh, our good storyline that we're covering today, I felt was extremely undercut by one of the major players having to do a lot more acting than he should. <laughs> oh, yes. And having to do a lot more actual talking yeah, than yeah, he yeah, yeah. ever, ever Not should have. Not strong suit. Oh, no. my God. And, like, I was carry like, the drama and the emotion of it. I got yeah. bummed out. I got straight up bummed out watching a lot of this Undertaker shit, Poor man. Mark. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, no, I was, I'm right there with you. <laughs> And and I think he got better at that sort of yeah. stuff. Like if if it had been ten years later, it might have been a little bit better. But this was him going from barely saying a word in his promos to having to monologue, and yeah, it's rough. <laughs> it's really so rough. the the, the storyline we're talking about is the the very first Undertaker versus Kane story. Where Paul Bear reveals the whole backstory of the Undertaker mm-hmm. and the funeral home and their brothers, so, and yeah. it starts on on June thirtieth, nineteen ninety seven. Paul Bearer has a secret of the Undertaker that he's going to reveal as he's coming out. And Bobby, you sent me something oh, about yes. the background of this. As he's coming out, he is attacked by a female fan who freaking gro- goes for his legs and just tackles him. Yeah. Um, 
I was surprised they kept that in. Mm Mm-hmm. That wasn't a plan. No. I thought that that was just there to demonstrate like how crazy of the Undertaker's. Fit. No, that was real. That was one hundred percent real. And wow. I believe, like Evan, to your point, like if they had wanted to do that, they would have a, they would have a, acknowledged it on commentary. Um, oh yeah. right, yeah. And the f- it's funny because you see it like the camera shows her tackling him, and then the camera cuts away, but you can still see in the background the other camera people still shooting it. I guess because like if she did do something really oh, yeah. bad, they'd want to have it on yeah, tape. Absolutely. Also, like if you're if you're doing a shoot with that many cameras, you can direct the camera people very specifically. Probably one of those camera people, at least's job, was to stay trained on Paul Bearer the entire segment in case you wanted to cut to Paul Bear, it's like that's camera three. Man, a d- side note about Paul Bearer. You know how um you know how like Bernie Sanders is simultaneously bald and has more hair than anybody yes. you've ever seen? That's what Paul Bearer's eyebrows are like. Yes. <laughs> if you look at them, they're barely there. There's not really much going on, and yet they have such a forceful presence. Oh yeah. Uh, and this is now unmustachioed Redheaded, um, televangelist style, Paul. Bear. Right. Well, the, the the Undertaker hit him with a fireball, and they were like, "Oh, is he gonna be mangled?" And all that happened was they told him, "Oh, you can stop putting on all that makeup and shave the mustache because the fire." And yeah, he looked a lot more like a person than he did a few years previously. Yeah. And really, this whole thing is like it's the culmination of one storyline, which is. Paul Bearer having turned on The Undertaker, managing uh, Mankind, The Executioner, and even Vader uh, in programs against The Undertaker for several months. And now this is all culminating. Paul Bearer has finally had enough. He is going to reveal the deepest, darkest secret about The Undertaker. This is jumping ahead a little bit, but after this segment, just because you mentioned Vader, I love Vader and him in oh, the yeah. in the locker room, and and you don't hear anything, but it's just Vader kind of being like, "That was that was really strong of you, man. Like yeah. you know, you really you really put yourself out there. I'm proud of I, you. I'm glad we get to see the the emotional vulnerability, and then immediate sort of like friends psyching each other up of the villains. Yeah. All right, so this fucking, uh, this story that Paul Bearer tells, right? So <laughs> so the, the family funeral home, mm-hmm. the uh, Undertaker, the, their last name is Undertaker, right? That's <laughs> canon at this point. It's it's Undertaker, Undertaker, Kane, Undertaker. Right. It, it's exactly like the Mario, yeah. the yes, Mario Brothers. Exactly, 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 exactly the same thing, yeah. So, um, all right, so the family <laughs> funeral home where Paul Bearer worked- I'm- as an apprentice. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking of Vince like meeting Kane for the first time. Oh, what's your name? <laughs> Kane Kane? No, Kane Undertaker. <laughs> well, both of their father was the und- Oh, wait. No, no, no. He was a That's mortician a of, of excellence. Yes. 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 <laughs> And, and, but so there's two kids and one of them was a red headed punk. And I think it, it's funny. Paul bear saying that given that he himself, yeah. Uh, is yes. is of, of the red hair. Um, the kids were smoking cigarettes and someone burned down the funeral home. He saw Undertaker, the redheaded punk, in the bushes and so realized that it was him who burned down the funeral right. home. You're a murderer, Undertaker. A murderer. You're a goddamn murderer. I just... I, I'm going to reiterate. I know I've been on the record about this, but Paul Bearer just blows away Every other <laughs> non wrestler character I've ever yeah, seen, at pretty least. much like, like, yeah, I'll just, just he's a guy who can monologue into the camera for f- five, six minutes, and I'm in the whole yeah. goddamn yeah, time. It, he he keeps true. the pace proper, he rises and falls, he keeps your attention, he doesn't repeat himself mm-hmm. over and over again. He knows when to break the drama and then to bring it back. It's like, it's, it's excellent, it, just excellent. Uh, it's such masterful. Yeah, it's such masterful verbal storytelling Paul Bearer is doing here, and one of one of I think my favorite things is that they weren't just smoking; they were smoking near flammable chemicals. Those darn right. kids! 
I also I felt like the implication too was that they were um smoking, you know, a, a popular, incredibly terrible thing that uh that youths will do uh is um uh dip cigarettes in embalming fluid and smoke those. Oh, I've yeah. never heard that's, of that. That's the Oh, that is oh that I swear to God, look that up. That is a real thing that happens huh. in the uh is, is is people steal in uh I mostly know it from because they mentioned it on six feet under and then I looked it up back in the Bobby's day. Bobby's like that I know what I'm deal. doing next weekend. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So I. I know that. I. I. That was the implication that I got was that they were doing that. So in. In response to Paul Bearer's masterful storytelling, we get, fucking Undertaker. You know, confirming the story, but but saying that it was Kane who had the liquids. The one thing I was confused about here was. The 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 father sends under after they get caught playing with matches and punished, he sends Undertaker out to do his chores. What what were his chores well, like outside I mean, in the woods? Oh, in the lawn. I don't know. Yeah, I'm thinking like it was probably a large estate being a funeral home up on a hill. And yeah, he probably had stuff like some yard work lugging tanks dusting yeah, lugging tanks of flammable chemicals back and forth like <laughs> you do and undertaker is is telling all this from the goth locker room of course i feel like i feel like this question that ben is posing once again is telling us more about ben's employment history than it is about and, and, and and where yeah. i've lived in my life too like <laughs> i I've, i never lived on an estate <laughs> Um, or, right, right. or anywhere, you know, I, uh, my, my parents have the, have a house upstate, but there's, you wouldn't call that a lawn. <laughs> it's like, it's just like a, a tangle of weeds out front. Yeah. Like when I think, you know, living just in apartments uh, my whole life, it's like doing chores. What does he have to do? The dishes? That's, that's right. Right. Take out the garbage. Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and it was, um, Kane had the liquids. So. He wasn't dealing with those, but uh, there is a great shot of um, when Paul Bearer finally like reveals, yes, the Undertaker committed double patricide. <clears throat> there's immediately a shot of an 11 year old child with an Undertaker sign, <laughs> like, like kind of looking like they don't really know what to do with this information, <laughs> right? Because like, because it's dark, because they're they're just like, oh, I'm oh, here to enjoy oh, wrestling. Okay, and so wrestling obviously plays with this whole dynamic of like it's a little too adult for kids and stuff but like this is some dark shit like, all right he fucking killed his parents like and and speaking of the fans and their understanding of the reality here bobby tell the story about this woman who attacked paul bear so this is something i was very kind of interested in because undertaker's fans they they you know they don't really focus on a whole lot you know they, i mean the focus on wrestling is never really on say the creatures of the right, night individual fans but undertaker has his creatures of the night and they had kind of uh put a focus on that in 95 a little bit with his storyline with comma and the chain and you had some sort of like goth cure fan undertaker enthusiasts who would bring like they were like full-on oh, yeah. victorian get yeah and, and it was just like it, they're obviously plants but it's like what's the story behind that? Right. And so when this happened with Paul bearer getting sort of like double egg speared by this girl, uh, I wanted to look into that a little bit. And so I was looking into that after I watched that, uh, I think Thursday night for the show. And I came across uh, a couple like Reddit threads and everything, people asking, you know, similar questions. And it led to a video of the undertaker on Chavo Guerrero's podcast talking about, uh, you know, what, what had happened with this young girl. So he talks about how, like, it's not un it wasn't uncommon for him at this time to, you know, come and uh, come to the show a couple hours early and there would, you know, sometimes be fans or, or presents left for, you know, some of the wrestlers and especially like him from his, you know, creatures of the night, right? Like they would leave him flowers or, you know, that sort of thing. And this one girl had done something similar, but she had left him 
a vial, like one of those old perfume vials where you like take the thing out and you kind of like dab it. And it was one of those, but filled with her blood. And she had written him poetry and talked about how, you know, she would follow him to the ends of the earth. And it was so awful. Paul Bearer was. And like, how dare. Yeah. yeah. How dare Paul Bearer do that to you? Right. Like she was totally not so Eminem Stan gone with this storyline. And yeah, she uh, she eventually attacks Paul Bearer. She's that girl at ringside. And then later she shows up to his hotel. He's Oh no. Yeah. They oh. are they it's after, you know, TV and everything. He's back at the hotel. He's spending some time with the boys like you do. They're up in a hotel yeah. room. I think it's him, Hawk and a couple of other guys. They're sitting there playing cards or dominoes or whatever and there's a knock at the door. And <laughs> Hawk is the one who goes to the door. Right. Man, I'm, I'm picturing yeah. that right now. You're finally, you're going to get your revenge on this, like, tubby, unathletic ball. You knock on the door, and the fucking road warriors are there, like, what? <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what it was. And Hawk's like, hey, uh, Taker, you, uh, you expecting anybody? No. Uh, there's well, somebody here for you. And he's just like, Hawk, I'm going to need you to go ahead and close that door, good buddy. And Hawk closes the door, and Undertaker calls down to the desk and has them remove this woman from the premises. And then it's like, okay, that's that's pretty far out. But there is one other layer of just crazy that kind of happens. Later, I think, that same night, or you know, they were still in that town. Because they would sometimes, I think they were still doing tapings. Uh, occasionally at this point. Uh, so they're still in that town and Undertaker and I think it's Brian Lee are on the road around town. The fake Undertaker. Yeah. Uh, they're they're on the road about town and uh, Brian's like, hey, can we pull into this gas station? I need to get some chew. That It's the most biker thing two bikers can do, right? So they, <laughs> yeah. he pulls in and as he's pulled in and Brian's getting ready to, to get out of the car to get what he needs, he sees that same girl just kind of moping around this gas station. She does. She hasn't seen him yet. And he's just like, we need to go like now we're going to stop somewhere else or you're not getting what you're getting, but we need to go. Sometimes you see somebody where where it's just like, oh, whatever situation we're in, we're not in it anymore. I'm in a different situation now, and we need to solve this immediately. Oh man, yeah, so, yeah, know, that's 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 real. Mick Foley wrote about that kind of thing in in uh, in his book. He had a stalker fan. And uh, very early in his career, when he, he was like 22, 23 years old, he must have been like 24. He went to college first. Uh, but when he was working in Texas uh, for the Von Erichs, there was a, a girl who would send him uh, send him letters. And he like, you know, was like, oh, if you, if you like that, I'm sending you the letters and it's OK, you know, to your hair in the ring. And so he did. Um, and, uh, then she started like really just pouring it on and following him everywhere. And oh, he, he no. told her like, look, you can't, you can't follow me everywhere. Like, it's cool that you're a fan. Like I'll, I'll be cactus Jack over here. Cactus Jack Manson is what they were calling him at the time. And uh, then she sent him a letter saying that cactus Jack Manson had killed her. And it was a heavy implication that it was a suicide note. So he called, uh, he called the morgue. He called the police, and there was no reports of any suicides or whatever. And then he called the office, and they they found her, and they told her on no uncertain terms, like, you don't harass our wrestlers, or we're going to ban you from the sportatorium. And she shut up immediately, because she wasn't about to give up wrestling. <laughs> and, you know, with, with something like that, you don't have to be cruel about it, but you do have to be firm. You have to be like, Boundaries. this is inappropriate, Not and acceptable. this is why. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I know, like, soap stars get this kind of thing, too, where, like, the fans mistake them for their characters. and But there's something about wrestling that really does kind of welcome yeah, it. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. it's, so, it's something that yeah. goes back, like, years and years and years. I mean, Freddie Blassie had acid thrown on him by a fan. Ugh, yeah. Ugh. 
Jesus. I, I know uh, a guy who was a friend oh. of my mom said he, he used to go to the garden when he was uh, when he was a kid in the 70s. And him and a friend one time jumped the rail themselves to throw salt at Mr. Fuji when he was one of the tag team champions. And um, he said that he, they were grabbed by security immediately and it was just shouting at them, no, no, it's fake. And the salt is fake, too, because it's baby powder. You actually throw salt in somebody's eyes. It burns and you have <laughs> yeah. to stop doing yeah, whatever you're doing. And it doesn't it look like doesn't a cloud. Look as, yeah, yeah, it yeah. looks like a bunch of particulate falling to the floor. The, the, the stage salt is like a powder that then you shows on your well you know you get it yeah yeah. i think three examples is enough now we didn't show (laughs) everything that happened in this feud to you evan because again we did show a couple more it's months and months worth of stuff but yeah go go on ben with what we got so the the next segment was october 20th 97 and this is after kane has shown up at the first hell in a cell match Mm -hmm. And we get another promo with Taker where just like Brett had with Owen, he refuses to fight his brother. Um, so what was the what was the thought behind us watching this promo? Though? So the thought behind this was the the reveal of the fire originally in June was just that this had happened in the Undertaker's childhood, right? And mm-hmm. This was the sort of reveal of Kane, but nobody at this point had had any speculation about, like, okay, nobody survived that fire. It's just The Undertaker, right? And, you know, the months leading up after that, that's when Paul Bearer had started to claim Kane is alive. And everybody had been kind of doubting him, calling him a liar, like, no, Kane's, he has to have died, right? And, of course, Bad blood happens. Kane comes out, interrupts the Hell in a Cell match. They, they. We did watch that one. Right. That was the the the, the Hell in a Cell yeah. with Shawn Michaels. Exactly. The debut of Kane. He tears the door off the cage. Right. And this is, uh, this is something like Vince. Like uh, I think uh, Bruce uh, Pritchard has talked about this a lot on his shows, where Vince is just not a proponent of brothers fighting for whatever reason. And that's like, and I think that's why we get this kind of build with Undertaker and Kane is because he's just, he's never been a fan of that. He never sees the value in that storyline. Fight the rest of your family, sure, but brothers, no. Despite like Brett and Owen yeah. being like the greatest rivalry they've yeah, ever had. Exactly. And, and Undertaker Kane being a good one too. I, I wonder if it has something to do with Vince and his own brother, who we very we very rarely hear anything. Yeah. And it's, it's something that goes way, way back too, because it's like, you know, Owen and Brett was kind of like the beginning of him, maybe kind of softening that position because when the Steiners were there in the WWF, there had been a pitch for a Rick versus Scott feud at that point. And they had, you know, Vince put the, put the kibosh on him. He's like, no brothers don't fight. Man, the promos for that would have been, uh, would have been a little rough. They would not have made it. They would not have made it to the Peacock Network, is my guess. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Okay. So our our next segment, we get to March twenty third, ninety eight. Mm-hmm. So this is now the Raw right before WrestleMania. Right. Kane and Undertaker are going to fight for the first time at WrestleMania after all this build. We have the Undertaker talking to his parents' graves, um, kind of hilariously. Um, but most interestingly, we have the promo with Kane in the ring where it's revealed that he has the same powers as the undertaker mm-hmm. and he shoots several bolts of lightning. The best one was at the, uh, announce table. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah, actually yeah. A, a pretty cool, uh, FX job there. Uh, and then the one where he lights the cameraman on fire is pretty good too. I feel like for a while there, it was very in style on television to do the guy in the fire suit bit. Yeah. Yeah. And this is when they did that. I I would concur with that. Yeah. This is really the most supernatural. I mean, I guess up until The Fiend, but this is like pretty much the most supernatural that WWF has ever gotten. Well, there was that time that Vince wrestled God. Yes. (laughs) And there was was when Papa Shango made uh, Ultimate Warrior ooze uh, black bile or yeah yeah much like the fiend is doing to randy orton now yeah right and and we can all agree there there is 
a supernatural element to Kane killing a gorilla mascot. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the, I didn't even think of that. No, they were the wait, what? Nitro had that mascot, right? Uh, what, Wildcat Willie or something? Oh, oh Wildcat oh. Willie. <laughs> I, I wasn't really blown away by the wrestling that then follows all these segments. Oh, yeah. So, so WrestleMania 14, this match um, is... We've watched one other Undertaker-Kane match, the one from WrestleMania 20, which I think as a match might be better. I mean, Kane had had a lot more experience by then. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had wrestled each other many times already right. by then. This is this is just the first one. Um, it's in a tough spot yeah. with that because there's so much buildup for the match, but then they have to have a little restraint because they're going to do several of them. I think the big deal in it is in the finish when they have when they tombstone each other and it takes several tombstones to finally yes. cause yeah. the finish. Uh, I wanted to make a contrast to something you said earlier, Ben. How uh, Mortis had like I think you said this, Ben, uh, that uh, Mortis had like generic kind of gothy music. Uh, versus The Undertaker, which came out to, like, O Fortuna, and he had a clan of druids coming out waiting yeah. for him. Like, and it actually looked really cool uh, coming to the ring. And then Kane with his fire and the red. The presentation is just much, Fucking much tombstoning yeah. Pete Rose. Yeah, that, oh, well, that's a whole other story. I was into that. That's a, that I thought was really interesting because I thought, you know, I, I knew of the Kane-Pete Rose thing, but I thought it was just really interesting to have Pete Rose come out as the special guest announcer, get heat immediately as a heel. Kane comes out, kills Pete Rose and gets over as a face seconds before the match he's going to be in as a heel. That was an odd choice. 97 was a wild time. Yeah. yeah. You know, the whole your local sports team sucks is such a such an old fashioned, like creaky thing. But but not when you were on one of the opposing teams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, his first line is Boston. Last time I was here, we kicked your ass. It's like, oh, no, Pete. <laughs> I, I think it like part of the longevity of the Kane character came from the fact that people wanted to see him, whether he was face or. Heel. Yeah. And he, he so he was capable of kind of doing something cool and yet still having heat because yeah. he was just cool, man. The design, the mask, mm-hmm. like especially this early version. He's a scary looking motherfucker. Yeah. It, it absolutely like uh, Doc, you mentioned like Undertaker comes out with Druids and O Fortuna playing in the background. And it's like, this actually feels biblical what you're about to see. Yeah. yeah. And I think as as fans at the time, you know, it, even though we're pretty young um, and actually it's weird because I, I pretty much stopped watching around Survivor Series 97. So I saw the first part of this build up, but like I didn't see the the payoff. Um, but at the time I remember thinking like Kane's not going to be that cool. <laughs> like the, 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 the people they trot out for the undertaker, they're never that cool. He's just going to squash him. And, you know, it's just like a, a thing for him to have a match at WrestleMania. It's going to be like giant Gonzalez and, you know, we're all going to forget about it. Kane just, you know, was far beyond any expectations. And he, he really delivered in a way that yeah. I don't think anyone was. Yeah, he was really expecting. did. Um, so, to Evan, to your point, like, the wrestling was fine, but it was a little kind of slow and plodding. They definitely yeah. were, like, they were really taking their time whenever they did anything, which I think maybe was to the uh, the match's in-ring detriment. Um, they did that one spot where Taker popped up onto Kane's shoulders. Yeah. And then they did kind of a sloppy face buster. The pop-up wasn't all that clean either, but he still did it. They're big guys to be doing lucha spots. <laughs> yeah, like. it's it's a very solid like electric chair spot for uh, guys their any, size uh, and weight. Any, any 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 parting thoughts? And Undertaker fucking destroys the motherfucking um, Spanish announce table. You see Tito Santana and Hugo Savinovich go flying. Good More stuff. popular athletes should be assaulted on wrestling. I think. Uh, the Undertaker avenged Pete Rose. 
The Undertaker did avenge Pete Rose. Pete Rose would be back, and Kane would dispatch him once again uh, the next year. Um, you know, it took three tombstones for Undertaker to put down Kane. They really protected Kane in that way because they they it, it, they wanted a satisfying conclusion to the build up to this match, and under, they had Undertaker win, but they protected Kane enough that they could continue the feud. Mm-hmm. Um. Not, which is not what they did with Glacier and Mortis. Right. No, no, no. Glacier and Mortis, uh, in long term, was a disaster. And yeah, like everything that uh, it, pretty much in yes. every possible Seriously. way, um, you know, the the Taker Kane feud and match was better, was done more <laughs> effectively than how the the Glacier Mortis stuff was done. So a very an excellent study in contrasts that you provided us with here. It's my pleasure. So, th- this is, uh, this is where, this is where I plug our Patreon. Um, uh, we have a Patreon, you know, patreon.com slash contesting wrestling, where, you know, uh, for $5 a month, you get an extra episode every single week. Um, as opposed to our normal schedule here, where we put out one every two weeks, we do an extra one every week over on Patreon. So if you enjoy us, check that out. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much to our patrons. Uh, Bobby, thank you very much for coming on. Uh, plug all your pluggables if you have anything you want to tell our listeners. Well, I will say, as a as a premium listener myself, that is worth every red cent. It is. Oh, thank you very much, Bobby. Yeah. Thank Bobby's you been much. subscribing for a long time. He'll yes. tell me like, "Hey, this is uh, you heard this," and I'm like, "Yeah, you're listening. Thank you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, the the stuff I do. You can follow me on Twitter at Space King Bobby. I host. Uh, three separate podcasts, Nerd Fix Strangers, where we talk uh, modern wrestling, comics, movies, pop culture, uh, what have you. Uh, I also host the Wrestling Time Machine podcast, where we go back and we watch old wrestling, which is currently, we just finished the year 1995, and we had our 1995 uh, awards that we did, and uh, we're figuring out how the move to Peacock is going to affect the show. So that'll be fun. Cool. And then, cool. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I also am a participant on Pokemon Mind and Body, an actual play Pokemon tabletop RPG podcast with original characters in an all new original region. Cool. And I guess as, as we sign here, off here, um, we can say farewell to I the imagine old their, uh, interface of the WWE will be Network. Yeah. Not better, and, uh, just we'll hope confusing for the best and this, difficult uh, in a different way. Uh, the, the, the Peacock era. The Peacock <laughs> era. It matters even less <laughs> if they put out good programming. Uh, good. You know, there are some wrestlers who I think could do well on Star Trek Discovery. I'll, I'll give them that. But, uh, yeah, yes, I, I can't wait for Roman Reigns Bobby, to spear so Michael Scott for visiting. You are always welcome. Uh, you, you, I, I predict you will be our first, third return guest, third time guest. Thank you. Sure. Uh, for as for everybody else, this has been contesting wrestling. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. We love you. We should get you on a premium episode uh, because those are a bit looser and we can just be looser. Yeah. We'll talk. (laughs) Peas.